what is up? Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Life Podcast. I am Marcus Grant, joined by Dwayne McFarlane. And Dwayne, you and I were, were sort of talking before the show that we've reached maybe the deadest parts of the offseason. I know we've got like some mini camps and stuff going on, but for the most part, this is this is a sort of slow time. So how do you how do you occupy yourself? What do you do to keep busy during this portion of the calendar? <laughs> Uh, well, right now, you know, we've got a lot of cool stuff going on behind the scenes, um, working on our projection model, um, you know, getting all of that stuff fine tuned. Like we've got our first version of projections up, but we're like really trying to take that to the next level. So digging into all sorts of research, you know, like looking at what teams have done historically, you know, when they're leading, trailing, close games, what does the league traditionally do? How, how often are really good teams even in bad scripts? All sorts of fun stuff that, you know, everybody just really loves to hear about. Yeah, You and I, we were just joking. I was like, you know, usually for the newsletter intro, I write the newsletter on Wednesdays. You know, I try to use something top of mind that I've been working on already that week. If there's not any fresh news, which you just pointed out, there's not a lot right now. In a, in a week or so, we'll get, you know, mini camps. We'll get some blurbs there. Mostly things we'll just overreact to and be wrong about. Um, but it's not exactly like something that's just tantalizing, you know, where you're just like, Hey, I'm going to open up the newsletter intro with, you know, trailing, you know, trailing pass, you know, pass percentages from Arthur <laughs> Smith. Like, I don't know that people will get too excited, but I did draft 30 puppies this weekend uh, wow. over on underdog puppy twos. Yeah. Um, I don't know how I got that done, but uh, I did. Um, I guess I didn't do all 30. I did like 20 this weekend. I had 10 already in. So um, I'll probably talk something about that, like about like some of my favorite draft strategies, something along those lines. But that's how I occupy, occupy myself if I'm not working on the data and analytics stuff. Uh, it's drafting, Marcus. Now, I really hope that uh, the, the NFL wagering stuff, that news rumor that's swirling that there's, oh, wow, there's more players potentially involved. We don't know who they are. Please, please, please don't kill all my best ball teams like yeah. with somebody getting suspended. Right. I mean, that's the last thing we want is, uh, you know, certainly somebody of fantasy relevance who has to sit down for an extended period of time because of that. So, yeah, I think we're all sort of, sort of waiting on that. I know you talked about, you know, kind of diving into some research stuff. Um, uh, I, you know, I don't think I'm at liberty to say a lot. I can say, though, that there's a lot of exciting stuff coming. I have I've been yeah. informed about some of the things that are in the works. And I think especially once we get closer to the start of next season. Uh, I know there are a lot of really cool things being being put together right now. So uh, let that be a teaser to uh, stick around and, and keep checking at fantasylife.com for what could be the cool stuff uh, when we get closer to the fall. Uh, last week on this show, we talked about running back tiers. So it only makes sense that this week we pivot to wide receiver tiers. And so we'll go through. Uh, a handful of groupings. In fact, you can find the article that Dwayne wrote over at fantasylife.com and we'll dig into uh, several of them and, and pick out a few players that are interesting to talk about. But before we get into it too, I want to just kind of start with just kind of a, a, an overview of this thing, kind of a top level thing. When you are putting together your tiers for the wide receiver position, what is the most important thing you are looking at? Yeah, that's a great question. And when you look at the data, not to get too nerdy here, but one of the first things I want to do is always you want to run, you know, correlations. You want to see what things correlate most strongly, right, to fantasy points. And then from there, you want to see which data points are the most sticky year over year, right, at that player level. So you want things that correlate highly to fantasy success. And, and also, if we know they're good and we think it means fantasy success, are they also repeatable, right, the next year? And then those things can end up really being the drivers for you in a, in a model or any kind of uh, setup that you want to create for yourself around, you know, projecting these sort of players and tiering them. But number one, for by far, for wide receivers, you know, is their talent. You know, for running backs, talent's important. We want talent. We love backs that can break the long runs, catch the passes, all very important. But at the end of the day, if you become the starting running back for whatever reason and the team hands you the ball, well, the ball's in your hands. You have an offensive line in front of you. It's like, okay, go. Go forth and prosper. A wide receiver, you've got to be talented. You can't earn targets, and that's what the data tells us. You're not going to earn targets if you're not good. So, And think about it this way, Marcus. Like, If tomorrow we saw, you know, name a starting running back in the NFL. Uh, I hate doing this to players because, you know, we don't want to, like, curse anyone, you know, with an injury. Right. Um, you know, but let's say something happened with, you know, Derrick Henry, and he's going to miss some time. Well, Tajay Spears will shoot up multiple rounds in average draft position because it's proven over time, like volume is king. For receivers, it's very different. 
if suddenly, you know, CD Lamb is going to miss some time, it doesn't mean that all, all the all of a sudden we're going to go find like the third, you know, player on the de- Jalen Tolbert suddenly <laughs> right. is going to be some guy that we're super excited about, or we're not going to necessarily think that Brandon Cooks is going to be a star because what's been shown is that you know target shares are very sticky pretty much year over year. Now, I will say when you got a little bit less target competition, that kind of thing, it can help. But earning targets and earning air yards are the two most sticky things year over year. They're also the things that correlate highest to fantasy points. So when I say talent and you hear me say talent profile, that's what I mean. Can wide receivers earn targets? Um, and if they show the air yard side of it, it also shows their ability either to earn so many they're dominating for their team, or it can show their ability to get down the field as well, earn targets and also do it like at a good average depth of target. So, I mean, you mentioned that too, right? And, and I think we all sort of look at wide receivers and, and you're right. When, when one guy goes down, you know, if fingers crossed or heaven forbid, you know, Devontae Adams, for instance, suffers an injury, um, you know, nobody's going to start drafting Hunter Renfro as like a wide receiver one or anything right. like that. But at the same time, those guys are still on the field together. And I know that's a thing with, with wide receivers. Yeah. You can watch them and, you know, they may run whatever, 40 routes in a game, and they may get 10 targets, which means there's a lot of time that they're just running around and not necessarily involved directly in the action. So when you're, when you're putting these things together, I mean, are you looking at uh, you know, how, much, you know, how much action or, or how talented the people around them are? Are you looking at the quarterback play? I mean, how much does that factor in when you're putting your tiers and your rankings together? Yeah, for sure. Um, so a couple of things there, like if, if a wide receiver does get injured, like the thing you're really looking for is the next most talented player on the team. But if they can't reach a certain threshold, it's going to be tough for them. But speaking to the aspect of, you know, uh, some of the other things there, quarterback play, target competition, those are certainly factors. And what I found in the data, though, is if you just correlate at the highest level and then you also look at that stickiness, um, whenever you're just putting everything together in one basket, like the talent is so, so far ahead in its signal. Um, For example, like air yards per game, you know, not to get overly nerdy here, but like 0.59 is the correlation coefficient. So that's R squared Mm -hmm. to fantasy points. That's really huge. Targets per game is 0.84. That's huge. Target share is 0.77. You'll get to team passing attempts, right? And it's like 0.05. So yeah, like how much the team's going to throw the ball uh, and then you get to quarterback, quality of quarterback. It's like, you know, a .08 or something like that. So it matters, but it doesn't really have that much of a signal compared to talent. So talent is by far the number one driver. Here's what I did find, though. When you then say, okay, what if we bucket all of these wide receivers by ability and then run the data again? Meaning, if I say C.D. Lamb and A.J. Brown, you know, are similar wide receivers, one of them has a really good quarterback and one doesn't, then do you get a signal? And the answer is yes, you do start to get a bigger signal. So those things do matter. You want, I mean, preferably like you would love an awesome wide receiver, super talented that plays with a great quarterback, doesn't have anybody else on his team that's any good (laughs) to take targets away from him (laughs) and a forward thinking coordinator that wants to throw the ball all the time. Like that, that's like the perfect mix right for a wide receiver and when folks go check out the tiers article like those are all the things that are broken down in it we're looking across uh you know end to end and one thing i did here is i just use adp to really say okay how much target competition do they have so if a wide receiver has multiple other teammates either a top 12 tight end or you know another teammate going inside the top 48 wide receivers and i just total those two things like some player like if you look at the 49ers the answer to that you know is three and that's before including Christian McCaffrey, which really makes it four, right? So you're, you're, you've got a lot of target competition. And it does matter if everybody else around you you're playing with is good. Where you can ignore that argument is you'll hear sometimes people say things like, uh, yeah, man, I don't know. I don't know if I like, uh, you know, Amari Cooper because, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones, man, he's going to get his. <laughs> yeah, if you mean by Donovan Peoples-Jones is going to get his 16 to 18%, but right. Amari Cooper can still be 22, 23, 24% target share kind of guy. Um, what I found in the data is like pretty much, you know, a, a wide receiver can get to like a 14, 13 to 15% target share. Um, coaches can scheme, they can do different things. But like after that, like to truly go beyond that and start moving up in pecking order, like the wide receiver typically has to be really good and they own that signal. 
So I mean, you, you talk about when you were like, yeah, you know, a, a really good receiver with talent with a good wide receiver with nobody around him. I mean, at first I was thinking, wow, Devontae Adams, the last couple of years, <laughs> last few years with Aaron Rodgers totally fit into that. And you said, you know, forward thinking, uh, you know, play caller coordinator. I'm like, okay, well, that's then Mike, maybe. Then Josh McDaniels fell out. Of <laughs> yeah, right. Like, <laughs> it started checking all the boxes, except uh, maybe not that one there. Um, I mean, anything else, though? I mean, you talk about you know, quarterback play, target competition, just talent profile. Anything else that, that you factor in when you're putting these together? Yeah, so, I mean, I definitely look at team tendencies like the that are they pass-heavy teams, right? So you can use pass rate over expected. You know, you look at the different game scripts, things like that. And, and those things can be sticky if you've got a quarterback and a coordinator who have consistently been together. But really, quarterback is the bigger driver to that. And if I posted a tweet today, folks can go check it out. But I basically just put out the tendencies across these teams. And surprise, if you've got Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, you just throw the ball more than the rest of the league. It doesn't really matter what kind of game script you have. It's just probably a smart thing to do as a coach. But if you're Arthur Smith and you're having to overcome the fact that you had Marcus Mariota, right, or you had to put Desmond Ritter, uh, you know, a late round draft pick, you know, in at the end of last year, you're trying to do all sorts of things to really protect them. You know, and, and you want to run the ball more. You want to try to confuse the defense. You want to really minimize sometimes the amount of times you want to throw the ball. So there's a lot that's going on with that. But I try to look at those things. But quarterback really is key. Um, and then the last thing is really um, average draft position. And that's where underdog is just a, it's a beautiful thing, Marcus, because you remember the days where we would have to sit in mock drafts or you go get mock draft data. And you know how those things were. I mean, people are just dropping out after the third round <laughs> right. or they're just screwing around, taking all quarterbacks, things like that. And it just really messes up the data. But with underdog, because people are actually putting real money in the game, you know, in these different contests, we have a great sample of data. Now it has its own things like wide receivers go earlier on underdog. And there, there's certain little things that are different about different contests based on the structure that can impact how, how people want to build teams. But overall, like we get a really good feel, even if we want to break it down, not necessarily by, oh, should I take a wide receiver over a running back here? Like the order of wide receivers is generally giving you a really good idea. This is the wide receiver one on underdog. Like where do your rankings compare? So I will use ADP because we know a lot of times people come in and they'll just draft straight off of these tier articles or they'll draft straight off of, you know, tiers within, you know, a tool that we put out. So I do factor it in because I don't want anyone to take someone before they need to. So like I'm way ahead of the market. We'll talk about Deontay Johnson later, but I don't move him all the way to where I think he should be in the ranks because I don't want someone to go take him too early. Part of the advantage to Deontay Johnson is that you can get him later than you should. And then you can plan around that, you know, in your draft. If you find three or four players at a position like that, where you're like, man, I feel good about Deontay Johnson and Traylon Burks, and this other player in this range, well, then you're like, well, if I know I can get one of those in round six, how does that let me think differently about the rest of my draft? Like my first few rounds, if I know I can get one of those guys in round six and I feel great about it, those are the kind of things you want to think about. So ADP definitely, you know, is a factor as well. And then lastly on ADP, like, you know, just having respect for markets. Like markets are typically efficient, you know? I mean, we've got a lot of really smart human beings out there drafting that are crafting the way these underdog, um, you know, rankings are coming out. And I don't just want to assume like that I'm smarter than all those people. So I definitely have my takes where I'm like, eh, I think the market's off. But overall, I want to respect the market as well and then use it to our advantage and when we take the players. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the advantage. And you mentioned it too, with people who actually have sort of skin in the game and they are willing to kind of go through and, and make thoughtful draft picks and that sort of thing. So I think that certainly helps kind of balance things out uh, over the course of the whole draft season. Uh, it's a good place to start to get into the wide receiver tiers themselves. But first, I should let you know, as we mentioned, underdog, uh, you can get a 100% first deposit match up to $100 over at underdog when you sign up if you use the promo code life so go do that and uh you can be involved in drafting some teams and helping to shape some of these uh wide receiver adps if you will so uh let's dive in tier one of the wide receivers uh, you call them young alphas in great situations and um yeah, they are certainly that a couple of guys who were teammates in college once upon <laughs> a time uh justin jefferson jamar chase uh i mean look i I don't know that there's anything we can say about them that people don't already know, but I do think it's nice to see that these guys really have kind of separated themselves, I think, in a lot of respects from the rest of their wide receiver peers, uh, you know, just even a few years into their, not, not very deep into their respective careers even. Yeah, they're amazing. Um, I think you could make an argument that outside of quarterbacks, these are the two most valuable players in the NFL right now on offense. 
Um, and, and so they check the boxes we want. And so if folks want to go check out, like we said, you can go check out the article over on fantasylife.com. But for every player, like I'm putting in here, where do they stack up versus the three-year averages for a wide receiver one, a wide receiver two, and a wide receiver three? And when I say stack up, I'm talking target share. We talked about target earning being a huge part of it. I'm talking about air yard share and then their yards per route run. So those are three things that really tell us about their talent profile. Um, and so you have that for every player. And Justin Jefferson, I'm not going to list it all out, but way above, way above wide receiver one, three, the three-year average for wide receiver one. So like he's kind of on his own plane, if you will. And we've got a pass-heavy offense with Kevin O'Connell. You've got a good quarterback in Kirk Cousins who has shown multiple times in his career that he can support multiple weapons. Um, you've got TJ Hawkinson, which is a nice weapon with him. Jordan Addison, they drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. He's also a solid weapon, might be an improvement over Adam Thielen. And I've had some people, oh, man, are you worried about those two guys? No, because those are not guys that are going to earn where you really get worried for a guy like Jefferson, you need someone else that profiles as like a 25, 26, 27% target share earner. Otherwise, historically, what we've seen is a guy like him can just do his thing. And those other two guys can kind of be like, he's the 1A, he's the one. And then they're kind of battling it out more like a 2A, 2B, right? They're going to be somewhere between like 18 and 22% of the targets, you know, each. Um, and, and that can work out, especially in a pass heavy offense like this with a quality quarterback. So yeah, uh, Justin Jefferson, and he's the number one pick right now overall on underdog pretty much every draft. You know, it's not one deal where, you know, every one out of three, right, you know, or two out of three, he's the first, and then, and, you know, and then the other one, like there's someone else. Like he, people are pretty much all in on Justin Jefferson, and I think, you know, for really good reason. Yeah, and you mentioned Jordan Addison, and I feel like when you are sort of scouting the the Vikings, I don't think – you know, at least for me, I'm not worried about this Jordan Addison take away from Justin Jefferson. I think the I think it's it's a Addison Hawkinson battle to see who that number two target there is is going to be in Minnesota. So I think those guys are more likely to sort of cannibalize each other uh, than they are uh, you know to take away from from Justin Jefferson in any real way. Um, similar to Jamar Chase, right? I mean, we we've seen yeah. that there. I mean, Joe Burrow, uh, he's got a very good quarterback there, a team that wants to be aggressive throwing the football, and he is by far the alpha, where you know he's going to get the most of the, most of the work, and then it's sort of everybody else that seems to be fighting for opportunities behind him there in Cincinnati. Yeah, and the thing is, last year we saw for Chase, he really separated himself from T. Higgins. So if we just look at the games where they played together, twenty five percent target share for Chase. Um, you know, whereas in the previous year as a rookie, it had been closer between between Higgins and Chase. And so Chase really separated himself. And then when you had the games where you didn't have Higgins, you I mean, you saw him just really erupt. You know, he had a 34 percent target share in those games, 23.1 fantasy points per game. So he also showed that even when the defense wanted to focus everything on him, he could still overcome that, which is really a big deal um, whenever you're kind of looking for like those alpha traits. So he's shown that we've also got a team that now that you know, if you go back two years ago, the Bengals started kind of slow because, you know, Burrow was coming off of the, you know, the MCL ACL injury, and you really had a conservative approach, right, from the coaching staff and had folks worried. But in the second half of that year, on their way to their Super Bowl run, they really opened things up. And then they repeated that last year. We saw them really, regardless of what the game script was, trailing, close, leading, they were throwing the ball more than the NFL average. And you have an elite young quarterback in Joe Burrow. So really another player that checks all the boxes and a great example, right? You've seen Tyler Boyd really disappear with the arrival of Jamar Chase and with T Higgins being there. Tyler Boyd was a guy that was really like, you know, he's a guy that when everything worked perfectly for him, he could be an 18, 20% target share guy. Now that he's playing with these other two good players, Jamar Chase, great T Higgins being good. Notice where the targets go. Now, Tyler Boyd is getting older, and, and you know we're not here to bash Tyler Boyd, but that's just another example of kind of some of the things that we were talking about earlier. And you see it a lot in this sort of data, um, especially as these receivers get into year two, three, and four of their career, these young alphas like this. So Jamar Chase, I think, is absolutely worthy of the second pick in most fantasy drafts. If you're playing in a standard league, you're going to think uh, you know, about your running backs there. But if you're playing in a half-point PPR, a full-point PPR, he's certainly there. You know, He's the only guy, um, Marcus, to score over 18 points per game in his first two seasons mm -hmm. since 2011, since Odell Beckham Jr. So wow. another LSU guy. Another, another LSU wide receiver. Wow. Uh, you know, I had a chance a couple years ago to, to talk to Justin Jefferson. I remember sort of asking him 
uh, jokingly at the time, like, who's going to get to 2,000 yards in a season first? Is it you or Jamar Chase? And he immediately said, as soon as I'm done talking to you, I'm going to go text Jamar and tell him it's going to be me. Um, <laughs> the, the battle is still open. <laughs> you know, I know, you know, uh, Jefferson got to 1,800 yards last year, got close, didn't quite get there. But the battle, the, the battle is still afoot between these two guys to see uh, which one of them can get to 2,000 yards first in a season. Um, tier two. Aging alphas, and I saw Cooper Cup on this list. And I'm like, he's not really getting. It. I'm like, I looked. I'm like, yeah, he's in our year seven. Uh, he turns thirty in about a week and a half, so he very much falls into this category. And you know, I know he missed a good chunk of time last year, unfortunately, with an injury. But Dwayne, when he was on the field, he was still every bit the oh, yeah. Cooper Cup we had seen the previous couple of years there for the Rams. Yeah. So all of the guys in this tier you just mentioned, they'll be 29 and a half or older when the season starts, right? So. That's kind of, you know, 29 is kind of the age where I start bucketing these guys. It doesn't mean that they're going to get hurt, but you're on, you're getting into the range where like the antenna has to go up, right? It can occur at any moment now. Um, but yeah, when you look at Cooper cup, you mentioned it, man, his target share adjusting for games. He didn't play 29%, 29%. That's freaking bonkers. I mean, Tyreek Hill was at 29% as well. Stefan Diggs, 26%. Devontae Adams, 29%. So this is a target-earning tier. The only thing is they are a little bit older. But when we look at Cooper Cup, is Matthew Stafford a great NFL quarterback? No. But can he support a wide receiver one? Yes. And do he and Cooper Cup have that mojo going? Absolutely. Um, you know, looking at looking at Cup last year, um, you know, his touchdowns, I mean, everything, you know, to your point, like 22.6 fantasy points per game. That's number one. That would have been number one last year. Now, again, he played in a smaller amount of games because of the injury, but the guy was really playing great. So I think you got, you know, as long as he's healthy, you're going to be in a good spot. He's typically going like between pick three and pick five right now on underdog drafts to start. That's a half PPR format. Um, Tyreek Hill will be 29 and a half years old. Um, do I really need to explain Tyreek Hill to anybody? Three, dude, <laughs> 3.20 yards per route run, Marcus. Like the next highest player in the league was 2.6. <laughs> 2.61, and it was Justin Jefferson. So you mentioned Cooper Cup, by the way, real quick. Just I think what what's to how good he was last year because the Rams' offense really struggled all year long. And even early in the year, you just got the sense of there's nowhere to go with the football except to Cooper Cup. And yet somehow uh, he was still able to kind of get over and, and be as successful as he was. And I think that speaks a lot to his talent and just the connection. that he And had. the scheme. Yeah. The scheme Tons of matchups against of linebackers and safeties. Right. I, mean, I, think, and I think that was part of it, too, while we while we sat around in this first few weeks wondering where is Allen Robinson? Well, the scheme just didn't favor him. I mean, they just they really couldn't seem to scheme up enough things for him, whereas everything was sort of funneled toward Cup and he continued to be very yeah, even bracket coverage was not stopping Cooper Cup. I mean, <laughs> the teams were throwing everything they could at him. It's kind of like the old Madden games where, you know, you'd see people post like uh, they would assign everybody to cover one player and there was this certain route, you know, where the wide receiver would do a certain thing and like you could still throw it to the receiver every time, even though all 11 guys on defense were covering that one player. That's kind of how Cooper Cup was last year. Pretty much. Um, Devontae Adams on this list and definitely, I think, the, the definition of an aging alpha. I want to ask you about him specifically because you talked about quarterback play and competition for targets. I don't know that the competition for targets is going to be great in Las Vegas this year, even though they did add Jacoby Myers and, and what have you. But, you know, not knowing what the future of Jimmy Garoppolo is going to be, knowing that it potentially could be Brian Hoyer, does that potentially make a big difference in what Devontae Adams can do? Yeah, and Adams is sliding uh, right now in underdog drafts. I just ran some data actually before we started the show because I want this because I had just anecdotally been noticing it. Um, but since May 11th, so today, uh, June 6th is the last data point that I pulled. We've seen his ADP drop from 10.6 to 12.8. So he's down two spots and people might say, ah, that's no big deal. Two spots is no big deal when you're pick 70, when you were pick 10 and now you're down to pick 12, you know, we're talking about, you know, a 20% difference in where you were getting picked. Um, so he is sliding. I see him slide into the second round often. Um, I've been grabbing him when he slides into like, you know, he comes around the corner in round two and sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll get him, at, you know, like the third or fourth pick in the second round. I've been grabbing him there because I do feel like if, if we hear Garoppolo's fine, he's going to play like the ADP is probably going to come back up. But at the same time, I wasn't clicking on him a lot at the end of first rounds, just because of what you mentioned. Like 
not only is Garoppolo coming into the season hurt, but Garoppolo's just been a guy that's been hurt, you know, for his career. Um, he rarely plays a full season. Looking at the backup situation, that's a challenge. Then when you look at Devontae Adams' age at 30.7 years old when the season starts, you know, there's a lot of potential ways that Adams fails this year. Um, you know, the talent suggests that, like, he's fine and he could just keep on trucking. But he's definitely at the age, and there are risk factors in play. Right now, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo's uh, the QB 29 on underdog. So I also put the ADP for the team quarterback as well as something that people can you know kind of think about um, going back to that quarterback quality. And then when you look at the Raiders, like they're expected to win seven and a half games. Not terrible, but not good. That's a losing season, right, in a 17-game season. So there are definitely some risk factors at play for me with Devontae Adams. But like, is he a name that you're comfortable clicking on right now, or is he somebody that you're kind of like, I'm just going to wait and see? Well, not not in the first round. I mean, I think, you know, yeah, yeah. If, if, if you're – able to grab him early second round i think i feel a lot better about that but the situation and for me it's, it's sort of what you mentioned it's not about Devonte adams it's not it's not you it's the people you hang out with you know, <laughs> sort of thing um you know i think he's as talented as he's as pretty much he's ever been but with the situation around him it seems a little bit more volatile and that's the reason uh i mean i i have some some concerns there uh stefan diggs i mean his situation hasn't really changed i would imagine he's kind of holding steady just because uh, for better or worse, the, the Bills didn't add. I know they're, you know they're rumored maybe to be in the market for DeAndre Hopkins, but for now, things look kind of status quo in Buffalo with that passing game. Yeah, man. he's a great target earner anyway, so it would take some real competition. A guy like Hopkins could definitely cap him because uh, when Hopkins is healthy on the field, we've seen he's honestly, he could fit into this tier that we're talking about. He just hasn't been healthy you know, for a full season for two years. But had DeAndre Hopkins done, if he had did, what he did last year on a full season, like he would be, he could be in this tier that we're talking about right now. So he is a guy that wherever he lands, he can cap upside even for um, a really, really good, you know, top end alpha wide receiver. Now that doesn't mean that you don't draft those guys. It just means that, you know, if he comes in and demands 26, 27% target share, it's, it's hard for even a Justin Jefferson at that point, like, because Justin Jefferson, you have to think, the top-end range of his outcomes, we haven't seen yet. He could have a 32% target share season. He's not going to do that if DeAndre Hopkins gets 26 27%, right? So with Hawkinson and with these other guys, he could still see a 30% target share season. So um, Hopkins is definitely, you know, could be a factor in the Bills, to your point, of a team. it's a team that has been mentioned. But otherwise, like for Diggs, it's all great, man. Like target, target earner, he'll be 29.8 when the season starts. Um, but when you look at, you know, his air yard share, his target share, all those things point to positivity. And he gets to play with Josh Allen, who we know is great. Um, he's the third quarterback off the board right now on underdog. Ten and a half projected wins right now, according to Bet MGM. And then you have, I have 41.6 dropbacks projected per game, which is second most in the league behind the Chargers. So I got a pass-friendly mm -hmm. offense. You got the great this Stefan Diggs is the guy that when we said, Hey, if everything goes perfect, you know, besides the fact he's getting a little older when we started this, when we started this show, like he's the, he's the guy like he, he just does not. I mean, Gabe Davis is not a high end target earner. Dawson Knox is a rookie. Um, even if those guys take a step forward, there's so much room still for Stefan Diggs. So that gets us to tier three, the high end target earners in their prime, uh, AJ Brown, CD lamb and Amon Ross St. Brown. Here's the thing. What is and I don't I don't think you're wrong, but the fact that AJ Brown can be this high and you know we haven't we'll get to Devonta Smith, but the fact that he's this high with another really good target earner on his team, I think speaks a lot to to Brown, to the offense, to Jalen Hurts. It just says a lot about what's going on in Philadelphia right now. Uh, for sure. To to have a target share like AJ Brown did last year, you know, at twenty six percent, whenever you had Devonta Smith at twenty five percent. That and honestly, this is a lot about Devonta Smith as well. That, that tells you Devonta Smith, like you know, he's a badass. Like they both are. They're both really good. Um, and honestly, if AJ Brown didn't have Devonta Smith with him, he would potentially be in tier one with Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. Like that's how good he is. He's a little bit older than than them at twenty six point two years old, but still very much in the sweet spot. Yards per route run two point five nine. Justin Jefferson was two point six one. You look at his target share, 26%. Justin Jefferson was with 26%. And you can argue A.J. Brown played with better talent competing for targets with him. Um, so 
just an absolute beast and a guy, you know, he's just a fun guy to watch, Marcus, you know. Like, he, he can do it from anywhere. He can beat you deep. 21% of his targets were 20-plus yards down the field, but he can blow you away in yards after the catch. 6.4 average yards after the catch. That, that's what you see from a guy with an A dot that's like 6 or 7. This is a guy that has a 12.9 average depth of target, and he can throw up these 6.4 yak numbers. And this is not his first season. He's had huge yak seasons in like three out of the four last years. Like one year he had a down year. Um, but A.J. Brown is an absolute beast. You got Jalen Hurts playing with you. You got a team projected for 10.5 wins. The only potential challenge, right, for A.J. Brown is it is hard to continually repeat when you have so much of a challenge for targets, right, with Devonta Smith. And then also Dallas Goddard kind of being the tertiary piece. Yeah. Um, so along those lines, right, C.D. Lamb's a guy who yeah, had mild competition for targets. I mean, Dalton Schultz was kind of getting some. They couldn't – the Cowboys really struggled to find another receiver after Lamb. They go out, they add Brandon Cooks. Does that bite potentially into what Lamb's potential can be this year? I don't think so because I think you lose Dalton Schultz, right? You add in – Brandon Cooks. That's a slight plus to Brandon Cooks, right? Um, Brandon Cooks is a little bit below the Amari Cooper level, which is what departed, you know, the year before. Um, and also, C.D. Lamb has just shown us that he's really good. 27% target share. You can't do that just because there's no one else around you. You can only do that because you're really good. So we have no doubts about how good Lamb is. 2.38 yards per route run. I'm um, already mentioned the 27% target share, but he can do it after the catch. Um, 34% air yard share. The average wide receiver one over the last three years is 31%. So he's well above that. Because some people think, ah, oh, he doesn't get down the field enough. And, and he doesn't get down the field as often as other play, as some other players. But it hasn't hurt his explosive target rate. 28% of his targets go for a reception of 15-plus yards or more. That is the set, That's the third most out of the top 10 wide receivers that we're going to talk about today. So he's he's just a super talented guy. I do think that Brandon Cooks is going to have a solid season with Dak Prescott. And I think that, you know, even Michael Gallup is is going to have a chance to outperform ADP because last year, really, he wasn't himself. You know, he was coming off the knee injury. But at the same time, even Gallup, when he was performing at his absolute best, really profiled more like a wide receiver three or a wide receiver four. So I think C.D. Lamb is really safe. The talent's there. It's like, you know, all all green check marks across the board for Lamb. And then another guy in this uh, in this tier, Amon Ross St. Brown. So this is the part of the show where we get to praise the sun god again because we've been <laughs> doing that on this show. I'm just happy. Remember, like you remember that first year, right, where he finishes off the season hot, and then there were all these reasons why he can't do it again, and then he just went out and he did it again. So at this point, we're just we're all in agreement now, right, that he is a legitimately hashtag good player, um, and we can just we can just all agree to enjoy watching him play now, right? Absolutely. And what you bring up there actually is a great, you know, case study example of how everything we've talked about so far about target earning means you're talented. So many people that were off of Amon Ross St. Brown, like their argument was, well, TJ Hawkinson was hurt. Well, TJ Hawkinson is not an elite target earner. He's just okay. Hmm. Well, DeAndre Swift was hurt. He was out. Great, great, great. But guess what? You can't go get a 26 target. Per, per, you can't go get a 26% target rate or target share if you're not good. Like, it's just not possible. Like, you can't do it. So we already knew that Amon Ross St. Brown was good based on how he finished the year. Now, we had some questions of where would he actually, you know, fit? Would he would he be that high of a target share guy? Maybe he would take a little bit of a step down, but we knew he would be good. But last year, he definitely, you know, he iced it. We know that he's an absolute stud that's worth going early second round in fantasy drafts. 26% target share, 2.40 yards per route run. And even though his average depth of target is, is low, he's more like a Cooper Cup. His average depth of target was 6.7. Cooper Cup was 7.5. Um, doesn't get the deep, deep targets, much like Cup. Only 14% of his targets came 20-plus yards down the field. The average for an NFL wide receiver is 20%, but it's his yak. His ability after the catch, very similar to Cooper Cup, 5.1. Cup's at a 5.6. Explosive target rate, 30% of his targets turned into 15 plus yard receptions. That's second behind only Jamar Chase uh, in the league last year. Well, we had 44% for, for Jalen Waddle, the super freak. Um, you know, so third. So people look at him and think, ah, oh, well, possession receiver, I don't know. I mean, I might, I don't know. Do I really want to spin that pick? The guy creates big plays. He's just not getting these huge targets down the field. So uh, he, he checks all the boxes. 
I my next goal, at least for the season, is to get Matt Harmon to stop calling him Bud Light Cooper Cup. Like let's, let's just like upgrade it. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I I I love the Bud Light Cooper. He, I mean, it's I think it's hilarious. I actually I actually that. do think it's hilarious. We're like, let's give him an upgrade. You know, like let him. I don't know. Give I don't know. An let's upgrade. Pick another beer. Can we upgrade? What are we? Right. Pick a different beer or something. Hey man, if I was called a light version of any receiver in the league, I mean, Cooper Cup's not a bad one. Cooper Cup's not a bad one. Justin Jefferson, Justin Jefferson light would be better. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's a that's 100% fair, no doubt. Um, tier four group of guys who are calling next gen greatness, and these are all fairly young wide receivers. Garrett Wilson, you got at the top of this list here, and we already loved Garrett Wilson. We've talked about this before. We liked Garrett Wilson a lot last year, and it spoke volumes about how much more we loved him when you know Mike White was at quarterback. So insert Aaron Rodgers <laughs> there. And uh, it's, you know, I, I think it's, it's, you know, full speed ahead for Garrett Wilson in 2023. Yeah. Um, only 66% of Garrett Wilson's, you know, targets were considered catchable last year, which was the absolute worst in the NFL for all players with a similar A dot, you know, so wow. he had a 10.8 average depth of target. So basically taking a half yard on either side of that. Um, so, not a lot of accurate passes coming from Zach Wilson, but he was still earning the targets as a rookie, a 23% target share. He had an 85.9 PFF receiving grade. That's the fifth highest that we've seen by a rookie since 2011. And a lot of people are like, oh, who cares, man? PFF, whatever. The PFF receiving grade for rookies has a freaking tremendous track record. For guys with at least 250, 250 routes that eclipse that 80 Point zero PFF receiving grade. They have just, I mean, it's a who's who's list of guys that you want to draft in fantasy today. And so he got well over that at the 85.9. So the guys that have scored above that, Odell Beckham Jr., 91.2, Justin Jefferson, 90.5, Terry McLaurin, 86.5, Michael Thomas, 86.3. And he had a fellow rookie just right there with him who we can talk about later, but that's Drake London at 85.3. So really, really great company to be in across those guys. McLaurin, we've not seen him take that next step to being a huge wide receiver one. But again, he's also been a bit limited, right, with the quarterback play and things like that. I think McLaurin probably has a wide receiver one season somewhere in there if we could get him with a good quarterback. Um, but this is a this is a wide receiver one talent based on everything that we saw as far as, you know, as a rookie. And to your point, now you got Aaron Rodgers. So that's a massive upgrade versus what you had from Zach Wilson. So, and you know, look, if you haven't drafted yet, you will be, you're going to, don't, don't be surprised by sticker shock. Garrett Wilson goes right away at the beginning of round two. That's how high fantasy drafters are on him. And I do think that the market is accurate in this case. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so you got Garrett Wilson going early. Devonta Smith, we talked about AJ Brown and what he means and the fact that Devonta Smith is sort of right there, just one tier below. Um, I mean, you're talking about two guys that, that are, alphas and could be alphas on any other team they figured out how to coexist and the best part is Jalen Hurts has figured out how to support both these guys at a high level I mean this is it's one of those dream scenarios for fantasy drafters that you you know if you quote unquote miss on AJ Brown you can come right back around and get Devonta Smith and still feel pretty good about things Marcus I have to tell you it's a sad story last night I was on underdog I started off I had pick four mm -hmm. I've drafted a lot of teams lately so I just want to try something different I took AJ Brown at pick four Coming back, I went ahead and took Devonta Smith because a lot of times once you do that, like you'll see, okay, the other person's like, well, I can't stack Jalen Hurts. Um, and I've seen Jalen Hurts slide back around that corner in the third. The quarterbacks are falling. They're now falling into the third round, which is a much better price tag on them. And so it gets all the way to the pick in front of me. I'm laying there in bed with my wife and I show her. I'm explaining to her what's happening. I'm like, I'm about to get this awesome stack because I clicked on his team. I'm like, he's got T. Higgins and he's got Jamar Chase. He knows he can wait until round four and he can get Joe Burrow with both of those. Like I'm in the clear. He, the clock winds all the way down. I don't know if he timed out. I don't know what happened, but I didn't get Jalen Hurts uh, with Devontae oh. Smith and AJ Brown. So <laughs> I wanted to pull it off one time and have them all together. Uh, didn't work out. And this is coming from a Cowboys fan. I wanted to have that. I wanted to have that three-way stack there with, with those guys. But um, yeah, you mentioned it. I mean, Devonta Smith, we've already kind of hit on it as well, but just, 25% target share uh, when you're playing with A.J. Brown. Guess what? He's, he's an alpha. This guy's amazing. Um, wide receiver one target worthy earner. Wide receiver one worthy air yards. Um, wide receiver two worthy PFF receiving grade. Wide receiver two worthy yards per route run. He's the 1B on a, on a run balance. High, high, high quality offense. So um, Devonta Smith goes the end of round two in drafts. I do think he's a little bit trickier once you get to there, Marcus, because... 
to take Devonta Smith, and it's not so much about the other wide receivers, but you pat you're passing on Tony Pollard. You know, there's some name you're passing on Nick Chubb, you know, who doesn't have as much competition. We talked about both of those guys in the running back to your show last week. If you missed it, be sure and go back and check it out. But it gets a little more tricky down there with Devonta Smith because of some of the running backs that are going in that range. It's a real sweet spot. But I, I still do think that he's draftable uh, at that spot just because of the reason we talked about. He's just he's too good of a player. And, and NFL season is chaos. What if A.J. Brown misses time? In those weeks, you're going to have probably a top six wide receiver with Devonta Smith. Um. Devonta Smith in a good spot. Chris Olave, another guy that, that we all love. Uh, you know, talk about Garrett Wilson, Olave, his old college teammate from Ohio State. In uh, a situation where the competition right now seems sort of nebulous, right? I mean, Michael Thomas is back, but we have no idea what version of Michael Thomas we're going to see uh, after all this time. I guess there's a slight quarterback upgrade in Derek Carr. But for Olave, things seem sort of status quo, and I just I don't see a situation where he doesn't end up getting a lion's share of the targets uh, in that New Orleans offense this year. Yeah, again, just another rookie that absolutely smashed. Um, 25% target share as a rookie, that's just absolutely insane. Had the great PFF uh, receiving grade, wide receiver two worthy as a rookie, uh, wide receiver one worthy air yards, um, wide receiver one worthy yards per route run. You can make an argument like his actual profile was better than any other rookie, like end to end. Like, and we had a really good rookie class last year because Drake London also did some nice things along with Garrett Wilson. Um, but yeah, Michael Thomas, e even though Michael Thomas was scoring 17 points per game last year in that small sample that we got early on, it was very touchdown dependent. Uh, Michael Thomas was more like in that 20% target share range. So I think there's plenty of room for a lot of here. Even if Michael Thomas can stay healthy all year and say he's a 20, 21% target share kind of, kind of guy, I think there's room for Olave, given the rest of the roster to be 25 to 27%. We could be six weeks without Alvin Kamara early, early in the season. Um, so that's going to leave some targets available. Now, once Kamara comes back, you know, he's a 15 to 20% guy. But you can have three guys right in the ranges that we're talking about. Um, so, yeah, I love Chris Olave. Um, I think I do think that Derek Carr is a slight upgrade for him. I think Andy Dalton actually performed better than people think last year. But I still think I look at the careers and, and where they are in their career. Actually, what's funny is I think Derek Carr and prime Derek Carr versus prime Andy Dalton. I feel like they're the same guy. <laughs> you know, but I feel like right now we just still have a younger version of Andy Dalton with Derek Carr. The Andy Andy Dalton that we see now, you know, he's older, he gets hurt more. Um, so I think that that's that's not a huge plus, but I think it's it's at least you know it's a positive. I think for Alave to have Derek Carr throwing in the ball. So yeah, I, I think there's just so many things. And again, when you get a chance to draft these guys that do these things that um, you know we saw this rookie class do last year. Typically, you know, they go on to do really good things. Now, is it immediately going to be the following season? You don't know for sure. It might be year three before that happens, but it can be year two. And I think Alave, a lot of things line up really well for him. He goes to the end of the second round and uh, underdog drafts right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, th I think Olave is, is, is set up in a very good spot this year. I mean, I don't, he was Mr. Air Yards early in the season last year. I, I don't think that's going to change dramatically this year. Um, you know, and I, I think Derek Carr's sort of that nice, in between uh, of what the Saints had last year with Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton. He sort of gives him the best of both worlds. Uh, maybe that helps Olave in, in the long run there. Um, Jalen Waddle, part of that track team that the Dolphins have put together down there. I mean, they are like a four by 400 sprint team is what they've got with him and Tyreek Hill. And that's another one where if somehow you miss on Tyreek Hill early, which is certainly possible because he's going very early in drafts, uh, Jalen Waddle, maybe not quite as productive, but I don't think he's a bad, you know, a bad option. If, if, the, if you are, if you are targeting that Dolphins offense and you miss Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, you should be pretty satisfied with, I would think. Yeah. So Waddle goes ahead of Devonta Smith. He goes ahead of Chris Olave. I think you could argue that really those two guys should go ahead of him because Waddle is not shown to be an elite target share guy. Now I'm not saying that he can't do it because he is playing with Tyreek Hill, who is an absolute alpha. Um, but he's still playing with Tyreek Hill. And so he's very dependent on the big plays. Now, the good news is it fits his archetype. This is a guy that, you know, is, was blazing fast coming out of college. It translates to the football field. Um, yards after the catch, 7.0 average, only behind Debo Samuel, who you guys know is an absolute freak when it comes to yards after the catch. And oh, by the way, this is with an average depth of target of 12 versus Debo's at four and a half. So a lot of those are screen looks, design things that, that Debo gets to do a lot more of his damage after, whereas Waddle's doing it, you know, 
underneath, but intermediate and also down the field at times. So his explosive target rate, 44% of his targets turned into a 15 plus yard reception or more. That was actually the best in the NFL after Jamar Chase with a minimum of 250 routes. So he's a very explosive playmaker. You are a little more dependent though on the big plays. Um, the other one question I have with Waddle, and I do draft him. I mean, he goes in the middle of the second rounds on underdog. Um, you know, you've got the competition with Tyreek Hill. It's okay. He's good enough because he's got that big playability. But the one other thing that kind of worries me a little bit, Marcus, is just, you know, and I hope two is okay. I hope he never suffers another concussion again in his life. But like when we're talking about fantasy, like, I don't know. I don't know. Right. And if he has another one, it, I mean, they did sign Mike White, but that, that could be a challenge, especially for someone like Waddle that's not the top-end target earner. And you need a quality quarterback if you're going to live on the yak and all those sort of things. Mm -hmm. Like You need somebody that can get the ball to you and lead you and put you in the right space so you can use your speed right, and eliminate angles and do all those sort of things. So I have a little bit of concern around Waddle. I think you could, you know, I think he belongs in this tier, but I think you could make an argument that he actually should go after all the other guys we just named. And I think that's fair, uh, just because certainly with Olave, there's there's just less talent, uh, less target competition there, and I think Devonta Smith, and it's just uh, maybe a better offense overall. So I think you can definitely make that case for for both of those guys. Was surprised to see DK Metcalf here, just because I thought he might have been too old. But I went and looked, and he doesn't turn 26 until pretty much the end of the season. It's mid December when he reaches his 26th birthday, and so that. Uh, I, I he had barely to made the cutoff. You're right. 25. But I got to ask about it because, you know, DK and Tyler Lockett, they have both been able to succeed there. They go out, obviously, and draft Jackson Smith and Jigba. We've talked at length about him. I know there's a belief that we're going to see uh, fewer two tight end sets from the Seahawks this year and that they're going to put three wide receivers on the field. How much of that factored in when you were putting DK Metcalf in this tier? Yeah, he barely makes it into the tier. And honestly, the ADP is helping him out a little bit. That's where this is one of those things where the ADP factors in. We could have easily slid D, we could have easily slid DK Metcalf into the tier with Amari Cooper, Debo Samuel, Calvin Ridley. Now, those guys are all a little bit older, or honestly, I could have just put him in this next tier with T. Higgins and Christian Watson. He was really a close call. But at the end of the day, like he's profiled better than those guys as far as being, you know, as far as like what we've seen from him as a target earner. Um, and he made a big leap from college. He was never a huge target earner in college. He was just, man, he was okay. Now he did play, uh, and this is an example of where, you know, target earning can really matter who you play with. He played with AJ Brown, you know, in college at Old Miss. So, um, but when you look at the all the other data points, it's really good. Um, you know, at 38% of the team air yards, again, 31% of the average for a wide receiver one over the last three years. So he just eclipsed all the marks that, you know, we want to see. And he's also a guy that we know last year wasn't super explosive, didn't have a ton of yak, but we know those are elements that are there in his game. Um, so he does fit in at the end of this tier. He goes you know, typically in the middle of the third round right now on underdog drafts. If you're going to, if you were to do a redraft league, that's not best ball. Uh, you know, and, and on underdog, you have to start three wide receivers. You start two running backs, plus you have a flex. So the format itself can push wide receivers up. And a lot of your home leagues, you won't see, my guess is DK Metcalf will be like more of a end of the third round, probably maybe even early fourth round pick versus where he's going on an underdog, which is the middle of third round. But I think he is, I think he is worth it there. Yes, I do think Jackson Smith and Jigba kind of limits the explosive upside you could see from him. But I think he can still be in the range that we've seen him be at. I don't necessarily see him taking a step down. I just think the range of outcomes as far as ceilings go are now a little bit more impeded by having that extra target competition. Because even if Tyler Lockett gets hurt, well, immediately Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to step in, right? And then they're just going to be dueling really for targets. And you expect Metcalf to win that battle, but JSN's going to be good enough that even that scenario, you're probably not getting, you know, a 32% target share season out of DK Metcalf. I, you know, I am definitely taking my shots at all three of those guys all throughout drafts, but I just, as an observer, very curious to kind of watch and just see how the three of them sort of blend together, how that offense figures out how to, how to integrate all three of them. I just, I mean, I'm just curious. I, I think it's going to be kind of fascinating to sort of, sort of watch that all happen. Um, you mentioned Tier 5, T. Higgins, Christian Watson. We sort of touched on T. Higgins. We talked about Jamar Chase and how Chase has kind of separated himself from that group. You are lower than consensus on Higgins. You are higher than consensus on Christian Watson. Um, 
look, obviously, you know, the, the big takeaway from Green Bay that there's no more Aaron Rodgers. Watson was outstanding last year with Rodgers. Why are you so optimistic about him this year? Yeah, so, I mean, with Watson, like a lot of people, like if, if, if you just look at it, like on the surface, you know, the target share, you'll be like, oh, you know, 15%. But once you really account for the games where he was injured um, and didn't play, really, you know, he may have started the game and left the game. He had a concussion. Um, he had some lower body injuries, a lot of different things going on. Um, you know, he got hurt, you know, early in the season. And then when he came back, he got hurt again. But once he was finally healthy and staying on the field, um, Watson, like, really erupted. You know, in those games, he had a 23% target share. He accounted for 41% of the air yards for the Packers, and he averaged 17.2 fantasy points per game. That's a wide receiver one. Now, his touchdowns per route run are going to come down they were really high 2.6 percent is like a, a really high rate um the nfl average is 0.9 percent but if you look at his game stylistically he's a guy that can beat you after the catch we saw it on actually a slant pass from jordan love late in the season where he just took off and eliminated every angle ran across the field and up the sideline gone and then if you look at his ability deep we saw him do that as well beat double coverage multiple times over the top because He's just so fast. And even in the end zone against the, against the Cowboys, um, you saw the play where he just basically beats double coverage, double coverage across the back of the end zone. The defense just loses him. So his speed is just a, it's just a game changing factor. And he's a guy that came into the league out of a small school. So there's still, yeah, he's older, but he's just now probably getting the best coaching, right. That he's had in his life. Um, so I think there's just a lot of opportunity for Watson here. Uh, you know, he can beat you deep 28% of his targets. Came 20-plus yards down the field. That's 8 percentage points above the league average. His yards after the catch, 6.4. That's plus 2.2 versus guys at similar ADOT. So doing things that you shouldn't normally see. Now, sometimes that can mean, oh, they're really just an outlier and they're going to regress. So I think there's some regression that can go on here with Christian Watson. But as long as he's healthy, the other factor is I think he can clearly be the number one. Yeah, we like Jaden Reed, who they took in the second round. Romeo Dubs did some okay things last year, but was really more of a wide receiver four or five profile. So I, even if Jordan Love is just below average, and we just Jordan Love, if he's terrible, it will hurt. But if he's just below a, a below average quarterback, you know, he, he's like between QB, you know, 22 and, you know, 28, somewhere in there. He's just not terrible. It can be okay because Watson doesn't have a lot of target competition. He has the big play upside, and we know he can, he can really demand the target. So he's a guy that goes in round four of drafts. And I have seen a lot of people, to your point, Marcus, they're just like, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I just I haven't seen enough from Watson. And, and I get that. If there is a question with him, it's the fact that we do have a small sample. We're going on a small sample. Um, but he does have the second round draft capital. So um, the, the Packers obviously saw something in him, and now he's paying that off. So I'm comfortable with him in, in, in round four. Um, Higgins is going in round three, early round three, sometimes late round two. And Higgins is really a wide receiver three talent profile. But he gets to play with an elite quarterback on a team that wants to throw the ball all the time. So he's a, he's a wide receiver too, but right now in some drafts, he's getting drafted more as like a high end wide receiver two or a low end wide receiver one. Now, if you're trying to set up your burrow stacks and all that kind of stuff, I've done it too. And I've pulled that one off where I go chase and then I come back and take a running back. Then I take T Higgins and then I get Joe Burrow in the fourth round on underdog. Like you, that's one that's, it's fairly feasible, especially now. Burrow's ADP is slidden down to where he's going in that range in round four. So I'm not saying not to do that. I'm not saying don't try those things and set up your teams the way you want to. I'm just saying that T. Higgins, as far as his talent goes, which is the number one driver in the way that I handle these things, he's just a smidge, over right, a smidge overrated. He should be more going in the range right after DK Metcalf. Um, put him down there around Amari Cooper, those guys. If he has another similar year to last year, Next year, you'll be looking at a guy that's going probably round four, round five in drafts, and people just, they haven't quite, you know, caught on. And that's not to say T. Higgins couldn't surprise us and still have a big season, but typically, after three years, when you've shown the profile that he has, you don't just suddenly have an explosion season. And again, never say never. T.Y. Hilton did the, had the same kind of career arc, right? First three years, really, it was good, not great. And then all of a sudden, Terry McLaurin's got it, and we still haven't seen him blow up for a wide receiver one season. Um, well, T.Y. Hilton, as soon as, you know, it kind of was like, ah, he's probably just a wide receiver too. That very next year, he blew up for a wide receiver one season. <laughs> Never did it again, but he did have the one. So there, there's still paths to Higgins paying off at his current ADP. Um, I just think he's a tad overpriced, Marcus. 
Well, you know, like when you said T. Higgins at the end of the second round, it, I, I had to catch my breath a little bit because it uh, that definitely seems a little bit you know, too rich for me. And with Christian Watson, look, if Romeo Dubs is to be believed, Jordan Love can do all the same things that Aaron Rodgers can do. So, yeah, we're just in shorts and there's no defense. <laughs> right. Like, I, I appreciate you believing in your guys, but I think we all sort of understand uh, that's probably not the case. A um, couple other guys outside of the top five tiers. And again, you can check out the entirety of these tiers at fantasylife.com. Go check out Dwayne's 2023 wide receiver tiers article there. Mike Williams. Um, look, he's a guy, you know, he's the guy that they use downfield. Uh, he can go up and get the ball. A lot of contested catches. Uh, I've never really, you know, he's very different than Keenan Allen, who can go out and earn targets in a really big way. You are lower than consensus on him. Is that some of the reason why, or is there there's something more to it? Yeah. Um, the only thing that's even keeping Mike Williams, like, you know, from being just totally tanked in my rankings um, is the fact that ADP is on him, and I have respect for that. Now, the reasons ADP is on him, I'm pretty sure what they are. The Chargers are a pass-first offense with a really good young quarterback. Right. And Kellen Moore is a uh, stone that he will keep the pedal to the metal on offense. So I think those are positives and those provide paths to paying off in ADP in round four. So you're, you're, and once you get to that range, Marcus, there's no perfect animal at wide receiver. Like we could point to Drake London and go, Oh my God, look at the talent profile, but it's the opposite of Mike Williams, right? You're like, who's throwing him the ball? <laughs> will they ever pass the ball you know so there it's a kind of a quandary but talent does weigh the most for me because those things can just change things get weird when it comes to coaching tendencies and things like that the talent stuff for wide receivers is more sticky year over year than the other things that we see so there's reasons um that i still like taking a guy like drake london i'm gonna mix some mike williams in um but at the same time Honestly, I'd rather get Keenan Allen and then turn around and draft Quentin Johnson in round seven or eight to go with my Justin Herbert if that's the kind of build I want. But with Mike Williams, we've just seen it too too long now. He is a backup-worthy target earner. When I, when I say backup-worthy, that means he's not at least a wide receiver three. He's at least not a top 36 based on historical performance going back to 2011. Um, you know, right now, and I referenced, you know, the three-year averages, but when I'm running my projections, I'm looking back as far as 10 years. Um, he is a wide receiver one, wide receiver two level air yard share guy over the last several years. So to your point, he'll work deep down the field and that's how he pays off. Um, wide receiver three worthy PFF receiving grade. So a lot of things really add up to this is a wide receiver three profile playing in a nice offense. So could he give you a wide receiver two season? Yeah, but it's just the kind of profile I don't want to overpay for. That just kind of concerns me a little bit. So again, I'll have some Williams exposure, but if I was doing one draft, you know, you and I are lining up mano a mano. We're going into a draft together. Like, you're not going to hear me call Mike Williams' name. He won't right. be one of the names I call. If I draft 300 teams this summer, I'll probably have 3 4%, 5% of Mike Williams. Um, that's just the way it would be. So then on the flip side, there's Deontay Johnson, who it seems as though people are starting to catch on. I think yes. when I looked yeah. uh, like a week, when I looked like a week ago uh, on Underdog, George Pickens was going ahead of Deontay Johnson, mm -hmm. like a couple of spots, not much, but was still going ahead of him. Now I look today and it is flipped. And Deontay Johnson is, you know, about three spots ahead of, of George Pickens in ADP. So it seems like people are starting to catch on, but it still feels like people are really low. I know that you are higher on him than consensus. Is this just because he didn't score any touchdowns? Like that's the only yes. thing I can take away that he just, he scored zero yes. touchdowns and everybody's holding that against him. Yes, and our nature is we want to move on to the new shiny toy, which is Pickens. You know, um, even though now they've flipped, they're still very close together to your point, but he has risen eight spots since May 11th through today. So he's definitely one of the biggest risers out of guys going in the first seven, eight rounds. In fact, first seven, eight rounds, he and Jahan Dotson, those are the two, well, and Rashad Bateman and Elijah Moore. Those, those are your four biggest risers right now. Well, Marquise Brown, too, because of the uh, the release of uh, DeAndre yeah, Hopkins. Yeah, so, right. but, but he's one of the biggest. Now, he's still wide receiver 39. Wide receiver 39 on underdog means you've got to take him in round six now. He, he rarely make he doesn't slide into wide. He does, he's pick 70. So pick 72, right? You know, if you're looking at, you know, your, your handy-dandy, you know, calculator, pick 72 is the end of, of round six. So you got to take him in round six. Used to, you could get him in round seven in the middle every time but it's still an edge. Wide receiver 39 is too low for a guy 
that's been a wide receiver one target worthy earner pretty much every year. Um, you know, wasn't as a rookie, but last year, 25% wide receiver one worthy air yards. Um, he checks the boxes of the things that are repeatable and that typically you don't just see go away for a wide receiver that, you know, is in his age group. So Johnson could also take a big step forward because we just really saw Kenny Pickett didn't do much of all last year. So if he takes any kind of slight step forward, that's going to be a positive. Um, so wide receiver 39, he is a guy that you can honestly think about building your draft strategy around. He is someone that if you know you can get him in round six and underdog, you can think about that. Okay, great. How many wide receivers do I need to have along with Deontay Johnson once I get to round six and I take him? If you're playing in a home league, Deontay Johnson's going to go later than that. And so, especially in PPR, um, standard leagues, Deontay's not worth as much, um, but he can still be, you know, a guy that could score six to eight touchdowns. That's what his profile suggests. We've actually seen him right in that range before. So he's not going to score zero again. Um, so yeah, he's a guy that I really, really love. Um, and I'm targeting, he is my number one. I've, I've actually, let me just check real quick because I did, you know, some of those drafts this weekend. But right now, yeah, Deontay Johnson's still my my most drafted wide receiver on underdog. I have a 29% exposure, which is pretty high. But I want to keep doing it, Marcus, because I expect his price to come up. And I, So I once his price gets in around five or whatever, I'm, I'll be like, okay, I'll mix Deontay Johnson in. No longer do I say, oh, my God, Deontay Johnson, like, you know, you just have to draft him. But <laughs> right now you have to draft him in round six. It's just too late. I just, I feel like he is, you know, He's the analyst's wide receiver, right? In the sense that, like, everybody you know, who really studies this stuff, you look at him, you see he's a target earner, you see that, you know, he's a guy that, that does all the technical things that we love. Um, and we sit here on, on podcasts and columns on Twitter, whatever, and say, like, Deontay Johnson, you should draft him. And then, like, you know, the maybe the casual, more casual draft looks at it and says, he didn't score any touchdowns, right? <laughs> like, you know, like, forget all your analysis. He didn't score any touchdowns. Or he drops the ball too much. That's right. the other one I hear. Like, yeah, exactly. I'm like, eh, not really. Like, if you look at his averages, like they're right around the league average. Actually, several years he's been below the league average in drops. So, you know. yeah, yeah, it's just one of those where like all of our all of our analysis doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, add up to the eye test for some people. And you know, hey, it is. It's what I it get is. that. It That's fair. It is. it is. No, it is what it is, right? Like I, I can't be mad at it. Uh, you know, Kyle Pitts, another one, right? As much as we talk about how good Kyle Pitts is, everybody's like, yeah, he let me down. Uh, I'm holding a grudge. I'm not. Drafting. He burned me. Exactly. That's it. Uh, one last one I wanted to ask you about, and you've mentioned him a few times, Drake London, because again, talent profile is there. All things considered, really, Pitts is the only other one that offers any significant target competition. We just have questions about, well, we have questions about the offense and, and how they run the scheme there and the quarterback. You've got him, you've got London in tier eight. Uh, does that about, does that about sum up how he landed there? Yeah. Um, he would be in the tier with Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave if he didn't have these uh, other hurdles, right? So you've got a run-heavy coordinator in Arthur Smith. Now, a lot of that is QB-induced. If you've got a bad QB, a young QB, sometimes it can be smart, right, to try to hide them and run the ball more. And, and as much as we give Arthur Smith a hard time about his personnel usage, I actually think he's pretty good in-game. And I think he understands how to try to to squeeze out wins in the NFL at times when maybe you shouldn't be able to. So I think that, you know, he deserves credit in that way. And we could see that continue because they added Taylor Heineke. That's it. And I, I really wish they had gone and done something. Maybe we can keep our fingers crossed for like a Ryan Tannehill trade at the deadline. Yeah. You know, if, if Tennessee, you know, sorry, Titans fans, I don't want to wish this upon you, but if Tennessee's struggling or something, or let's make it a brighter picture. Will Levis just turns it on and comes out and just, there strips, is. you know, takes takes the job away from Ryan Tannehill, and the, and the Titans are able to actually still get something out of Tannehill and trade value. How about that for something positive? Um, maybe that's a that's an out. Um, but when you look at the talent profile, I mean, it's uh, it's 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 really phenomenal. Twenty seven percent target share adjusted, you know, removing the games that he missed. Thirty three percent air yard share. Uh, those are both well over wide receiver one marks. PFF receiving grade, wide receiver one worthy yards per route run, and this is saying a lot. Yards per route run, um, targets per route run is just more the receiver. Did you earn a target? You can't help it if the quarterback was on target or not with it. Yards per route run becomes impacted if your quarterback stinks, right? If he can't lead you, if he can't get you the ball, your targets are uncatchable, right? Your yards per route run are going to come, or they're going to come down. Um, but targets per route run, like that's the thing that the receiver can can really own the most. So target share was great, but that 2.07 yards per route run playing with Marcus Mariota 
Uh, like, for example, you have guys like MVS that go play with Patrick Mahomes, and, you know, they get nowhere near that. Um, so I have no doubt if Drake London played with Patrick Mahomes, he'd be like a 2.50 yards wow. per route run guy, maybe a three. Like that, that's how good Drake London can be. So what you're betting on is against the situation, but the talent is the number one driver. So I do think he's a name that you got to consider in round four and underdog I've drafted in plenty. Um, if by some chance, you know, let me say a couple other quick, really quick things here. Number one. There's no way. I know people are like, oh, man, they drafted B. John Robinson. They're just going to run the ball even more. Um, and I get that thought process, but it won't be possible. We've not seen a team average more, uh, less yards per game passing than what we saw from the Bears and Falcons since 2012. There's only one other team even close. And so just the, the law of regression, we talk about regression all the time about these guys. Oh, Christian Watson, man, he can't score all those touchdowns again. Well, you have to, the same thing applies to these outlier seasons. Uh, where you've got really, you know, crazy, you know, low pass rates and things like that. As much as Arthur Smith is going to want to continue to protect his quarterback and those sort of things, I do think you're going to see more passing this year from the Falcons, J just by the law of, you know, you know, regression and how those things are going to have to come forward. Um, and also, Desmond Ritter is not a design run guy, like where you use Marcus Mariota in the design run game. So that run the ball the most, they've always got a quarterback that's used in the design run game. Ritter will scramble, but he is not a guy that you're going to design 15% of the carries for. So I think that's going to help. Um, I think, you know, just, uh, you know, the simple fact that it was an outlier season is going to help. And then one final thing. If Ritter's terrible, at least your backstop is Heineke. Last year, you didn't have a, 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 another place to really turn. You know, if Mariota wasn't good, you had a guy that fell in the draft in Ritter that wasn't ready to play. Well, this year, if Ritter doesn't come through, at least Heineke we saw for periods last year, Marcus, he supported a wide receiver one worthy Terry McLaurin for a nice solid stretch. And then he turned to Jahan Dotson later in the season. But I think he could support a guy like Drake London. Is, is Taylor Heineke perfect? No. But I think those are enough factors that when you look at his talent profile, it gets me excited, you know, about Drake London being a guy that could still, you know, give us a really, really good wide receiver two season. Wide receiver one, it's going to be tough in this offense, but he could still be a really solid wide receiver two. I think with with this offense, we're not drafting the quarterback. I think whoever it is, whether it's Desmond yeah, Ritter, no. <laughs> certainly not Taylor Heineke. So I think all we want of them is just can you support the pass catchers that we do want to draft? Can you support Drake London? Can you support Kyle Pitts? So we'll see. By the way, your, your hypothetical of Ryan Tannehill maybe coming over wouldn't be the first time that Arthur Smith has turned to Ryan Tannehill to mop up after Marcus Mariota. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's happened before. Who knows? Maybe maybe one day it'll, it'll happen again. Who knows? Um, that was pretty hefty. Uh, by the way, you can go check out all of this, as I mentioned earlier, at FantasyLife.com. Just go look up Dwayne McFarland's 2023 wide receiver tiers while you're there. Sign up for the newsletter. I'm talking to you. Yes, you with the ears. Go sign up for it. It's free. Great content from folks like Dwayne, from Peter Overzet, Ian Harditz, Kendall Valenzuela, Chris Allen, Sam Wallace. Plenty of good stuff there. It lands in your inbox every single morning. It has great team and player news. It's got strategies for dynasty, best ball drafts, whatever you want. Got you covered. Go over to fantasylife.com. Sign up today, right now. Pronto, ahora mismo, all of that. Go, go sign up right now. Please. It's free. Come on. <laughs> free 99, which is the absolute best price that could possibly be. Uh, in the meantime, it's time for us to stop and catch our breath and rest our voices and get ready for uh, another day at some point. We appreciate you hanging out with us, though, as uh, you always do. That'll do it for this edition of the Fantasy Life Podcast. He is Dwayne. I am Marcus. Thank you for listening so, so very much. Enjoy the rest of your week, everybody. And we'll talk to you again real soon.